Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. That's why we gather here every Sunday morning, is to praise the God who saved us. So I'm so grateful for each of you who has joined us for worship. Uh, I believe that's actually one of the songs that our youth uh, sang on the trip that they were on as, as part of their worship there as well. And so what a great reminder of why we gather here on Sunday mornings. You know, last Sunday, uh, we were out of town. And so we had the privilege as a church of having John Gerhardt, one of our mission partners, one of our longtime mission partners here. He runs, uh, helps to run urban impact in the city across the lake. Uh, just has been a faithful servant of God and a faithful servant of God's word. So I'm grateful to John uh, for teaching us and preaching to us last week. And we were actually able to watch through the live stream later in the week, uh, watch the recording. And so what a great way to be able to join in uh, what you all experienced uh, there. And so uh, it's great to have another voice sometimes. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, but also I'm glad to be back as well and glad to, to open the word with you this morning. Uh, where was I at this time last week? Actually, I was in the middle of nowhere at Sand Hills Church of Hope in western Nebraska, like 10 miles from the South Dakota border. Uh, that's my brother's church. I have a brother who's a pastor up there. Uh, he actually has two churches that he's helped to plant. And so we got to worship with both of those last Sunday. What a great reminder that the gospel is not for any type of person, any uh, demographic, any sort of job. It's for anyone who will believe. And so we were able to worship with fellow believers out in the middle of nowhere uh, in my brother's church. Uh, let me show you a picture of where we drove during this week, okay? So I have a friend this week I saw who posted his family vacation. Same thing on Google Maps. It was a lot of miles, but his went like through the Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon, Rocky Mountain National Park, all these amazing sites. We chose to go through the Midwest, okay? So you'll see 42 hours of driving through cornfields and soybean fields. And so uh, I feel like I'm a little dazed this morning still after that. But we had a great trip, uh, a lot of great memories. And again, it makes coming back even all the better. This morning, uh, as we gather back together here again, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Proverbs. And if you've been here all summer, you know we've been looking at different themes, a different theme every week. And so we've got uh, three more weeks, including today, left of just three more themes. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at the theme of wisdom and wealth, wisdom and wealth. And what we're going to be looking at is six lies about money, six lies about money. And um, I think all of us here would agree that no one likes to be lied to, right? Nobody likes it. If somebody comes to you and, and tells you a lie and you discover, Hey, they weren't being truthful with me. But here's the thing about these lies about money is that these are actually lies that we tell ourselves, um, and so I would encourage you that as we look at these, and if you realize I've been telling myself this lie about money, um, then, uh, then, then adjust the way that you practice with that. You know, Jesus talks a lot about money. Uh, in his teaching in the New Testament, he talks about what he calls the deceitfulness of riches. He talks about that in the parable of the sower and the seed. In other words, Money and riches is something that we can use to deceive ourselves in all kinds of ways. And so we want to look at six of those ways that we see uh, here in the book of Proverbs. Um, actually, before I jump into that, there's a book here that I want to point out to you. This is actually called The, the Truth About Money Lies. Any of you have, have ever read this book? This is by uh, Russ Crossan and Kelly Talamo. Kelly Talamo actually was a pastor of this church in days past. Uh, and there's a lot of the same lies that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to actually touch on, I think, two of the ones in this book, but also some others that Proverbs brings up directly. But this is just a great book uh, that, that actually follows the same thing. 
Um, speaking of lies, though, I have a confession to make to you all. Okay. Actually, two weeks ago when I stood up here, uh, I told you all a lie from the pulpit. Okay. And so I need to confess that to you. Uh, and so here's the lie I told you. It's actually a true lie. That's the thing. Question number one from two weeks ago was, why do we work? And the answer was, I said, according to Proverbs, the reason we work is to provide. That's the reason God gives us for work. And so um, here's the thing. That may be God's design. And in fact, I might even tell myself that I work in order to provide. But I think for many of us, that's actually the first lie is that we say to ourselves, I work in order to provide. In reality, that's not the truth. Even though that's supposed to be the truth, it's not the truth. You know, uh, God provides for our needs through our work. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yet, I think a lot of us find ourselves living to work instead of working in order to live. In other words, that becomes this ultimate thing in our lives. And so we tell ourselves this lie, I work in order to provide. I work, you might hear yourself saying something like this, why do I work? I work in order to pay the bills, okay? Well, then what about all the bills you keep adding in, right? The things you don't really need. Or you could fill in that blank. That word provide is kind of a key word in this lie. You could fill in the blank and say, I work in order to prove myself, prove that I'm a real man or a real woman. I work in order to increase my net worth. In other words, to get richer. I work in order to get rich. I work in order to get more things, to go more places, or do more things. In reality, that's what we're doing, a lot of us, with our work. It's not just to provide for the basic needs we have and then to share with others. It's to enrich our own lives. Here's another one. Some of you may have said this in the past or are saying it now. I work in order to retire. I want to work hard so that I can retire early. But here's the thing. We actually have this thing in the U.S. that we would call an epidemic of workaholism. And it's not because people love work so much. It's because they love the money and possessions that work brings. And so that, my friends, is when we see it becoming an idol. You've heard of the TV show The Walking Dead, right? Well, here's a picture. The Working Dead, okay? People who just slave at their desks. Workaholism is actually termed as an epidemic here in our country. And if I would say this. If you're lying to yourself on this lie, you may be in danger of working yourself to death. So that's the first lie. I work in order to provide. And and what are we trying to provide in our own hearts with this thing? I would say there's really two things that we as humans try to provide through our work. Two of these false things. And that would be security and significance. We think if we work hard enough, then we'll be safe. If I can save up enough in my 401k, then I'll be able to relax for the rest of my life. Or uh, if I can work hard enough, then people will notice me for who I am. And they'll like me more. So security on the one hand, significance on the other. On this first slide, we want to kind of focus in on this idea of trying to provide security through your wealth. And realize that true security does not come through your wealth. We're going to come back to the idea of trying to get significance through money a little later this morning. But neither one of those things, security or significance, neither one of those things can be bought with money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can never save enough to be fully secure. How do we know this? I think Proverbs especially speaks to this theme. Really, Proverbs uh, has a lot of verses scattered throughout about money, possessions, sharing possessions, your work, all those things all tie together. And so 
Proverbs speaks to this idea of thinking that your money will make you secure. Realizing money is not a bad thing. Money provides for things. But look at this warning from Proverbs 23. It says this, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. So that first lie that we tell ourselves is that I'm working in order to provide. The reality is we're working in order to acquire wealth and try to be secure. But here's the truth from God's word. That your value and your security do not come from your wealth. Okay, this is a theme that comes up over and over again in scripture, uh, and especially in the book of Proverbs, that you are not secure in life because of how much money you can hoard or how much money you can accumulate. There are so many other circumstances out of your control that money can't get you through. And so to put your hope and your security in your wealth is a faulty place to put it. Okay, so that's the first lie we tell ourselves. I'm working in order to provide so that I can be secure. Listen to these verses from uh, the New Testament says this, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Those are some sobering words from uh, from the Apostle Paul in First Timothy. And he basically says the same thing that Proverbs says. If you're pursuing money, loving money, thinking that money will make you secure, you're going down the wrong path. That's not where you're going to find your security. In fact, he says, if you're working because you love money, verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evils, but it's the love of money. Putting that thing called money and possessions up on a pedestal and saying, I have to have this in order to make me happy. Or I have to have this in order to make me secure. That's a lie from the devil. And we think that money will provide what we need or what we, what we want. And that's a lie. Your value, your security is not in your wealth. Look at this next verse. But as for you, O man of God, or O woman of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. You see, money cannot truly provide what you'll need for all eternity. Only Jesus can provide that. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It's interesting that Paul says, he goes from saying... Don't pursue that love of money. Instead, pursue these things. You know, there's other scriptures that talk about this same thing of kind of the idea that wealth is fleeting. You can't put your trust in your money to stay secure. Psalm 49 talks about that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 talks a lot about how wealth doesn't last. Money can never provide what you will truly need for all eternity. And your wealth, your value, your security is not found in your money. So that's the first lie we tell ourselves. But what about the second lie? It kind of leads us straight into this one. More money will make me happy. Okay? More money will make me happy. Um, 
This is one that I think we see all the time. And so uh, the question would be then uh, is, is how much more money? I think you've all heard the quote from uh, from John Rockefeller, the famous uh, uh, businessman from a century ago. Somebody asked him, uh, how much more money do you need to be happy? And he kind of winked and nodded and said, just a little more. And he had millions, if not billions of dollars. So we always want just a little more. You see this in a lot of places in life, right? Uh, um, we think that money will make us happy. You know, when somebody, when a, when a loved one dies, you just watch how the family fights over the money. Some of you may have experienced that. I read a quote this week that says, where there's a will, there's a family. Okay? Uh, people who want to get their hands on whatever they can because they think that more money will make them happy. And that's actually a great example of why this is such a lie. So many families have been torn apart by those kind of things. But actually, I want to do something else here to show you what I mean. I think by way of illustration, the way that can help us understand uh, what I mean when I say that we think more money will make me happy. I've actually got something for you here in my pocket. I'm going to come back to uh, Steve Freeman is the chairman of our financial uh, team. So I've got something for you, Steve. Uh, this morning, uh, for those of you who are watching online, I know you probably can't see me, uh, but Steve, uh, how are you feeling right now? Are you happy right now? Except for that I'm talking to you right in the middle of church, yeah? Okay, well, here you go. I've got a $5 bill for you, everybody. Here's a $5 bill for Steve. There you go. Are, are you happier now? There you go. Okay, so he's $5 happier. So you see, money starts making us happy. But now if I walk up here uh, to Gary Heap, and I say, Gary, in this pocket... I've got a hundred dollar bill. Now, if I give that to you, okay. are you happier now than you were a second ago? I think I'm probably happier. Than you. Oh, now, remember what I said at the beginning. This was for the sake of illustration, so I'm, I'm going to need that one back. <laughs> Thank you, sir. See, now he's not happy, but I am. All right. And the rest of us in this room are saying, "I'm just happy he didn't come talk to me." But you know, we all think that more money is going to make us happy. Steve, I'll let you keep that five dollars. That's uh I, I can spare five, okay? Sorry, Gary, I'll have, to, I'll have to give you something else another time. We like to think that more money will make us happy. Materialism is this idea that more money or more possessions, if I just have a little more, then I'll be happier than I am now. How many of you have ever been kind of down or depressed or discouraged about something and you go online and you think, man, if I go buy this thing on Amazon, it's going to make me feel better? Um, a lot of people have done that. The question is, when you get that more money, are you happier now than you were before? Or do you just find yourself wanting a little bit more? See, Proverbs tells us that this is a lie. Just because you have more money does not mean you'll have more happiness or that your life will be easier. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 and 17 says this, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. See, what these two verses show us, I think, is that money is not the thing that can make us happy. It's a relationship that will make us happy. See, we were made for relationship. Before I take this verse off the screen, that first verse really speaks to a relationship with God. We talk about fearing the Lord. That's the Old Testament way of saying to trust the Lord, to recognize who he is and to believe in him. And so this relationship with the Lord is better than great treasure and the trouble that goes with it. 
Verse 17 talks about a relationship with people. Some of you have experienced this or you've seen this. Some of the wealthiest families are the most unhappy families. They don't get along. Just because you have a lot of money does not guarantee you're going to have happiness. It's the relationship, the love that God wants us to have for one another that brings happiness. Money can't buy a relationship with God. And as we know, money can't buy relationships with people. So the second lie is that more money will make me happy. But the truth from God's word is this. You can only be satisfied by a relationship with God. You can only be satisfied by a relationship with God. That first verse that I read there, it talks about better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Because you see, a relationship with God can satisfy you in a way that money never will. So when you die, your money stays on earth. But when you die, if you know Jesus, you'll be with him forever, for all eternity. You can only be satisfied eternally by a relationship with God. And that comes through Jesus Christ. So that's the question this morning is, do you have a relationship with God? Have you trusted him? And I don't mean just know about him. I mean, do you actually have a relationship with him? Do you love him and does he love you? We do that by trusting that Jesus has completed the work that we needed to do. We could never do the work that's needed in order to earn a relationship with God. We could never do it. It's only through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection that we receive forgiveness, the riches of forgiveness, the riches of the inheritance of eternal life, the acceptance with God. True fulfillment, true satisfaction can only come through this relationship with God. So do you have that this morning? The question this morning isn't how much money you have or how much happiness you have. The question is, do you have the one thing that really matters? And that's a relationship with the God who created you. Talk a little more about how to get that. St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were created for a relationship with God. And so we was, I would just ask you this morning, are you restless in your pursuit to have more money or more friends or more possessions? Fill in the blank. You will not find rest until you find your rest in Christ. And that can happen this morning if it's never happened before. So that's lie number two, that more money will make me happy. Proverbs tells us that's a lie. The rest of Scripture tells us that's a lie. There's actually multiple Proverbs. I'm just focusing on one for each of these lies, but there's actually more that speak to the same thing. But that brings us to lie number three that we tell ourselves. And this is how we handle our money or how we actually make our money. And that would be that the end justifies the means. And so you might have a point A and a point B. I'm at point A. I'm going to get money before point B. But don't worry about what happens in between. I'm just going to scribble that out. Don't worry about how I got my money. But God tells us that's not true. We'd like to say it doesn't matter how I get my money. It matters what I do with it. But God says it actually does matter. Here's an extreme example of this. This is from NOLA.com. Do you all see this article? It says, two more plead guilty in New Orleans scheme to crash cars into big rigs for money. The crash for cash scam. Did you all hear about this? This has been going on for a couple years in New Orleans, and they've really been prosecuting it recently. A group of people decided that we think we can get rich by 
getting a car to crash into a big rig, then we'll sue the company that owns that big rig and get big time insurance money. Uh, they even had, I think, a doctor on board who would prescribe and, and say that they were diagnosed with injuries. It was a big ring, and so they busted them because this is this is not legal. The end justifies the means. We just need to get some money. We just got to pay our bills. It doesn't really matter how we do it, right? You might say, well, I would never do something like that. I would never crash for cash, okay? I would not be a part of that scam. But would you lie? Or would you cut corners, be dishonest? Would you treat your employees or coworkers poorly in order to make more money? The end does not justify the means. We do need to make money to survive. But here's what Proverbs says in chapter 21, verses 5 through 8. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. The way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. See, this verse kind of tells us the truth from God's word. And that is this, that God cares deeply about how you gather wealth. It's not that it doesn't matter how you get your money. God does care how you treat others. Do you notice in those verses, let's go back to those, um, a couple of things to avoid in verse 5. He says, you need to be careful about those get-rich schemes, get-rich-quick schemes. Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. My dad and my grandpa always used to say, if, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So you want to avoid that kind of thing. Verse 6, the making of money by lying or dishonesty. How easy is that to do these days? To just kind of tell the partial truth about what's, what you're doing. That's the way of death. Verse 7, again, uh, violence and injustice. Are you taking advantage of people to get their money? A lot of times we would think, well, violence means I'm actually going out, hitting somebody on the head and taking their wallet, taking their money. But in Scripture, violence includes more than that. Doing things that would harm people would fall into that category. And so just think about it. Are you doing things that would harm people as you make money? Injustice. John talked about that last week. Taking advantage of, of poor and people who are down and out on their, in their lives. In verse 8, the way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. This idea of crooked, right? It's so easy in whatever business you're in or whatever job you're in to bend the rules a little bit. Nobody will notice if I don't quite follow this law or that regulation. But God does care deeply about how you gather your wealth. See, all those ways of making money through deceit that Proverbs warns us about, it does matter. And this, is, this falls back into that category of what First Timothy says. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So that list of things ought to characterize how we pursue wealth or what we do with our wealth. Those things ought to characterize how we work. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about what it was to be diligent, to be a faithful worker. These characteristics help you use the wealth that God provides. 
So that's lie number three. The end justifies the means. That's a lie straight from the pit. And God says, I do care about how you gather your wealth. How you make it matters. Okay. So lie number four, moving along here. Lie number four is this, that it's all for me. I'm doing this all for myself. The money is there for me. Actually, that might be true if we say that, right? But the reality is God has not designed money to be all about us. My money. Because money decisions are actually discipleship decisions. This is why I think Jesus talks about money so much. Because money is one of those things that can get a hold on your life and a hold on your heart. And it can lead you away from God with what you spend it on, but also in your priorities. Money decisions are discipleship decisions. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you make a decision about how you spend your money, whether it's on yourself or someone around you or something like that, you're deciding how God wants you to spend that money. Look at these verses here in Proverbs 11. Is this money really all mine? It says this, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. See, these verses tell us that generosity with your money is actually wisdom. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs that talk about this idea of giving, of being generous. So the lie is that it's all for me. But when we look at Proverbs and all of Scripture, the truth from God's Word on this, on this lie is that you are blessed in order to be a blessing. Okay. The reality is that all of your money belongs to God. I don't know about you. If you were, if you were raised in a church, you might have heard some of these things. Uh, I think I grew up thinking, hey, uh, God says he wants you to tithe 10%, tithe is 10%, but the other 90% belongs to you. I think somewhere in college, I heard a speaker or read a book or something where it was explained to me that no, actually, all of the money, all of your possessions belong to God. That's all his. And he hands them, puts them into your hands so that you can use them the way he wants you to. See, a lot of times we see money and we grab it and close our fists. I think the biblical view is not to say it's all for me, but it's to say that everything God has given me, I hold with open hands so that I can use it in whatever way he asks me to use it. Yes, he wants you to use it to support your family, to take care of your needs. Absolutely. He provides through money for that. But he also says you are blessed in order to be a blessing. Be generous. Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, There's another great book. I've actually got two books here I'm going to reference, but there's a book here called, I think I've referenced this one before, The Treasure Principle. And this just describes the whole topic of of being a generous person and why this is so close to God's heart. Um, And Randy Alcorn in this book actually says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Um, And so what I think we have to remember is that if we are tempted to believe that lie, that all this is for me, to make me happy, to provide for me, that's only part of what God's trying to do. That's a lie. Proverbs tells us that God wants to bless us in order to be a blessing. One little comment here. uh, You all have heard of the prosperity gospel, maybe. Uh, the prosperity gospel is this version of Christian teaching, so-called Christian teaching that says that if you give money to God, he'll give you 10 times more than you could ever give. Uh, if you give, he'll give you back even more, as if that's a guarantee in Scripture. 
uh, dollar for dollar. Scripture never actually guarantees that. Scripture does say uh, if you bless others, you yourself will be blessed. But that doesn't mean you'll be blessed uh, with more money than you gave away. Sometimes God does that. I've seen that happen a lot of times. In fact, I think some of the most generous people I know, God gives them a lot of, uh, a lot of money so that they can, he knows he can trust them with it. They're the ones who hand it off to other people. But this idea of prosperity gospel that God says, I'm going to give you prosperity, financial prosperity, if all you do is give your offerings to the church or to the ministry that I'm advertising on TV, whatever it is. That's actually not scriptural. God does say he will bless us and reward us for our generosity. But he doesn't say, I'm going to do that financially every time. You will be blessed in order to be a blessing. Uh, there's a song we actually sing here in our worship services. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. That's from the book of Numbers. It's from the book of Psalms. I think Psalm 67. Uh, but here's the other half of that psalm. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, that your ways may be known upon earth, your saving grace among all the nations. See, God blesses his people, his children, so that we can share his saving grace, share this good news with the people around us. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And so I would just encourage you, if this is a lie that you've told yourself, that it's all for me, even if you wouldn't say that out loud, but you've been feeling that in your heart, remember that God says, I want you to give to those who have need. Here's another lie that goes right along with that one. Lie number five, and this is that I can't afford to give. Uh, And how does this look? Uh, I've said this to myself before. I've said, well, once I finish college, then I'll start having enough money to actually give. And so I can't afford to give anything right now, but down the road I will. Well, then, then I got married and I had to pay for a ring, okay? So once that's paid off, then what about that? Or what about this? Have you ever heard this? As soon as my kids are through college, then I'll be able to give my tithes to the Lord. Or as soon as I make, I'm making $100,000 a year on a consistent basis, then I'll give. And by a consistent basis, I mean three to five years. Okay. It's amazing how many loopholes we start putting in there. And, and really that goes back to that lie of saying, I can't afford to give right now, but I will down the road. Again, uh, God says, says this, Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So we like to say we can't afford to give, but if you read all of scripture and what God says about being generous, I think the truth is this, you can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to give. Remember that it all belongs to him. You know, uh, Jesus, this is one of my favorite passages on generosity is from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21 it goes right along with this whole idea of not being able to afford not to give. This is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, generosity is one of those things that God demonstrates through Jesus, right? God demonstrated his generosity through Jesus. He gave us way beyond what we deserved. In fact, we didn't deserve, we, we deserve the opposite of what he gave us. And yet he generously 
graciously, freely gave it to us. And there's something about us imitating God's generosity that I think unlocks our heart to follow him in a more powerful way. It opens your heart to God and opens your heart to people. And so I would ask you this. When you listen to those words from Jesus, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where are you investing for eternity? Where are you investing for eternity? You know, two of these books, I already mentioned one of them. The treasure principle is one that really has challenged me in this to look at what God says about being generous. It's the way of wisdom. Proverbs tells us that hoarding money for yourself is not wise. But here's the other one. It's called Plastic Donuts by Jeff Anderson. This is an interesting one. The title of that book is based on a story he tells about his daughter. When she was three or four years old, she comes to him and uh, and he's working in his office and she brings him a little plastic donut. Your kids may have done this when, when they were younger as well. Here, Daddy, you want a you wanna donut? So he would take it and pretend to eat it and he'd give it back to her. She'd go away and she'd come back two minutes later and say, hey, Dad, you want another donut? Same donut. And they'd have this routine and... And it wasn't annoying to him. He loved it because it showed how much she loved him. And in some ways, us being generous is a picture of that. Does God want us to give him money because he needs it? No. But it shows that our heart is in tune with what his heart is in tune with. And it opens our heart to him and to the people around us. So you see that God is generous. And so uh, this idea that I can't afford to give, like I said, I think what Scripture tells us is that you can't afford not to give. And just by way of uh, a teaser, this this fall, we're actually, our leadership team has been working on plans for some, some big changes here at Trinity. And, and you're going to hear more about that in the months ahead. And I know it's going to challenge us in the area of generosity. But just be thinking about this not only with projects like that, but also with ongoing ministry needs that you see all around you. I think God tells us here, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth neither destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn says this, your heart will always go where you put your money. That's what Jesus tells us. So when you invest your money in the things that are close to God's heart, that's where your heart's going to go to, and you'll be on his mission with him. All right, so the last lie, lie number six is this, and this may seem unrelated to the others, but I think it's a really common lie that we tell ourselves all the time, and this is that rich people are more valuable than poor people. You might not say that out loud. Again, a lot of these lies we don't say out loud to ourselves or to anyone else. But inside, we kind of believe that, right? Rich people are more important than me. I'm not rich or not rich enough. We think this, we feel this. But here's what I want us to consider. Is that today, the majority of our Christian brothers and sisters are poor people. America may not be the best measure of that, but around the world, uh, most of our brothers and sisters in Christ are actually living in poverty. And so when we say that rich people are more valuable than poor people, we have to realize that's not the way that God sees it. Our politicians see it that way, right? They really want to be friends with the rich people. Um, leaders see it that way. But that is a lie. Proverbs 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. 
See, God has made all people, and he doesn't show preference to people because some are rich or some are poor. The other thing that you have to realize is this is the opposite is also true. Poor people are not more valuable than rich people. Uh, some people find pride in their poverty. But the rich and the poor meet together. One translation says the rich and the poor shake hands. The Lord is the maker of them all. So the lie is that we think that rich people are more valuable, but the truth from God's word is this. That your significance is not in your wealth. Your worth is not in your financial net worth. Okay, You have a net worth. You have a spiritual worth that is far greater than any financial number we could put on you. You see, God's not waiting for you to reach a certain level of net worth. You are significant because God made you and because God loves you and because he sent his son to rescue you. To pay for your sins. And this is even more amazing when you consider this because scripture tells us that all of us in this room, apart from God, are actually spiritually poor, helpless. We have a net, like a, a deficit to our account. We could never pay the debt we owe. Spiritually poor. But the verse we read earlier in worship, Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Do you notice those two words there? I circled them on the screen. It says Jesus was rich before he came to earth as a human. He had the riches of heaven at his right hand. All the money, all the possessions, everything he needed. Not only physically rich, but also spiritually rich. And he became poor, becoming a human, so that he could make us rich. How beautiful is that? But the key word in that verse is grace. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it doesn't matter how much money you put in the offering. You could never pay enough. God doesn't want you to try to buy his love or his grace. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you try to stack up during your life. You could never get the riches of God by paying for it on your own. It's only the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the free gift, the gift that we don't deserve, the gift that we receive by saying, yes, I believe that you paid it all, Jesus. I believe that you paid it all to make me rich spiritually. This is grace. We don't deserve it, but God willingly shares his riches with us. Here's the truth. You are a treasure to God that is worth dying for. He literally died for you. And he says, I want to give you all the riches of heaven, eternal life, and a relationship with the creator of the universe. All you have to do is receive that gift by trusting in Jesus. So that's the question. Do you know the riches of forgiveness? Do you have that inheritance of eternal life? Do you have that relationship with Jesus? Why did he think you were dying for, worth dying for? <clears throat> you were poor and helpless. And he died in order to give you the gift of all the riches for all eternity. You know, that's the way of wisdom, is to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Pursuing wealth, pursuing money, to a certain extent that's needed. To survive, right? But I think what we see here in the book of Proverbs this morning and throughout Scripture is that we tell ourselves so many lies 
about what we need to do with that money, that sometimes we forget that the true riches come through Jesus Christ. So this morning, as you think about that, as you take your bulletin home with those six lies, and by the way, there's many more than six in the book of Proverbs, which of these lies do you believe? Which of those do you tell yourself? And I would tell you this, if you find that you're asking or that you're speaking those lies to yourself or to others, ask for help. Ask God for help and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think this is one of those steps in the process by hearing the truth from God's word. And then when we talk about wisdom and wealth, we again are reminded that God has shared this matchless treasure with us, this relationship and forgiveness with Jesus Christ. So if you will, just think on those things and let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all the riches of the universe are made available to us through Jesus Christ, God. And Lord, that the treasure you give us, eternal life that will go far beyond this life on earth, uh, is given to us freely. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we handle our finances. Uh, Lord, thank you for showing us your truth this morning. And God, we just pray, uh, Lord, that as we go from here, that you would just protect us in this very important area. Now to you who are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen.